Hello, everybody. This is Coach Bala here, um, and I'm here to kickstart our uh, podcast series for Season X. And boy, you know how I'm going to kickstart it with? I'm going to kickstart it with a blockbuster episode. Um, I am with the one and only Sonia Ahuja. Hi, Sonia. Welcome to the program. Hey, Bala. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Uh, so first of all, I know we have so much to talk, so much to talk. <laughs> but uh, before I do that, I just wanted to make sure I give a little bit of context because there's a lot of new runners uh, this season. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure they understand what this is all about. So bear with me for a couple of seconds. So folks, uh, this is uh, a podcast with runner series that we have. Uh, we've been doing this for all the seasons. The idea behind this is, you know, running as an art and a science, as we all know. And there is a lot of stories that unfolds, magical stories that unfolds in this long distance uh, journey for everyone. And I've gone through that. So many people have gone through it. And one way of sort of motivating and inspiring people to run is to throw some light on these magical stories. And you realize that you're not the only one that is going through whatever twists and turns the, the, the long distance journey offers you. But it is something that everyone experiences in their own way. And that was the idea behind this podcast where we pick up these amazing runners, normal, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, as I always say, and talk to them, understand them as a human being and also understand their journey in that way, we also learn from them, get inspired, and so on and so forth. That's really the idea behind this podcast with runners. It is all the, we have done about 100 episodes still now over the last many seasons. All of it is there in our um, in our website. Feel free to go and, you know, whenever you're free, like, just want to feel like listening to somebody else's story, I would encourage you to go and do that. Just so that, you know, I personally have listened to many of the episodes multiple times. You know, whenever I get bored, I just uh, go and uh, figure out something. So it is in that context, I'm bringing in our first episode for the season. And as I said, a blockbuster episode with Sonia. Now, uh, a little bit about Sonia before I allow her to, you know, uh, give her the chance to introduce herself. Sonia is one of our uh, sort of, uh, should I say, supporter, great friend of mine of many runners in the group. Her, uh, her family runs with us. Her daughter ran with us 10K. Her, her uh, husband also ran with us. So they know runners are inside out. And Sonia is sort of one of those shining beacons for all of us. She has done some amazing things. Um, in fact, this is the first time in the history of these podcasts I'm actually doing two times. Three times, not two. Three times with the same guest because she so well deserves it. So the first episode was about, I don't know, three, four uh, seasons ago. This was uh, with another ultra marathon runner, Uni, and both of them, I'd invited them to talk about their full marathon journey. And in that episode, uh, Sonia, keep me honest here if I'm uh, misrepresenting something. But in that episode, I was uh, sort of talking about, you know, like talking big things about Uni for completing his marathon, (laughs) 50K or whatever. And that sparked something in Sonia. I said, huh? What's a big deal? Why Bala is giving so much importance to ultra marathon? Let me also try it out. I guess that's how it started, or at least the seed was placed there. <laughs> Sonia, is that fair to say? That is absolutely correct. So that's how she started her ultra marathon journey, and you will soon realize with Sonia, once she gets in, she gets in. She, there's no halfway into this. And then the second episode I released about six or eight months ago, or maybe five months ago. 
this is when uh, she went and did an ultra marathon after mul- completing multiple uh, ultra marathons she went to brazil uh, hey, remind me sonia what's the name of that uh, I, I'm, i'm it's slipping brazil 135 it's called just brazil. brazil 135 it's essentially running through mountains and some it's like a also a religious or a spiritual journey for some it if i remember that podcast well literally going through the hills and the villages and alone 135 miles and uh, she went just went and did that you know she just wanted to do it and she went and did it but little did she know that she actually went and set a course record <laughs> she won the first prize for women or was it also first prize across the category uh, one amongst the women and course record amongst the women right there you go that's what she did again she didn't even aim for it at that time she went and just did it but what happened as a result is that she got an automatic entry into this race that we are going to talk about today the bad water ultra 135 mile race uh it is tagged as the world's toughest foot race and you will know why very soon when she got entry into that she was very happy and she was very sad at the same time <laughs> <laughs> which is only sonia can have these emotions why first she got direct entry which is not easy to get entry into this but secondly she was all set to come with us for the annapurna circuit trip and now she is like oh my god i want to do both and how is it i'm missing so she was a little sad i was very sad and excited because she's always with me in my mountaineering partnership and boy what was there if there is any reason that is great to miss out on a mountaineering trek it has to be this and sonia just decided to hunker down and as they say rest is history but i thought a little bit of context there why this is the third time a special guest i'm bringing here those of you who have missed the first two episodes i'm going to share that um as part of this i'll share it with you uh, i would suggest you should start with that it's like almost like a lord of the rings episode you know for you to understand the third uh, episode let's start with the first one i think you should do that so that you understand the journey uh, that our special guest sonia has been so with all that introduction sonia i know it was a little longer but i think it's important for the newcomers to understand welcome and welcome to the show and thank you for coming over here hey bala first of all thanks for inviting me i always love to talk uh, with this group uh, and i this time i can tell you if it wasn't for support and love of this group i probably wouldn't have crossed the finish line so i i cannot tell you how great i feel and how much thankful i am for this support um because my running journey as you said begin with this group and i'm still so close to this group so i really appreciate um everyone's love support i felt it every single step while running bad water so oh, so sweet of you to say and i do uh, i do concur with your thought while i was in the mountains at that time when you were doing this i saw the runners i just blew up literally yeah. blew up and I, i and for the right reason and i'm so glad to see the outpouring of love and support and your husband i must uh, tell it uh, tell right now here your husband and daughter what brilliant family support you've had you know yeah. achieving something like this is not possible without that mm-hmm. family support um so kudos to your to samir and your daughter um, ria for uh, making this such a successful thing for you and it's a they deserve equal kudos like you for probably uh, more because the sacrifices i made for this training is is cause beyond i can even explain like my live five my months i think i remember calling you bala saying oh my gosh i got into bad water what what do i do now i was almost like i had no clue how to approach this training 
And then I started to put my training plan. It looked like something that I had never done in my life. I mean, the time commitment, the, the, you know, um, the hard work that was needed to even come to this point was, was beyond like my imagination, but my family was super, super supportive. And obviously all friends were very supportive. So yeah, absolutely. They deserve to be recognized. Absolutely. Kudos to them. Uh, Seriously. Mm -hmm. Congrats on that. Um, So let us start peeling this layer one by one, you know, I, I, so that I want to make sure we do this in a structured way so that we don't lose out on all the, magical sort of events that is taking place. So before anything, forget about running for now. For those of them just literally connecting uh, for the first time in episode three instead of episode one, maybe take a minute and talk about who you are as a person, not as a runner. What do you do for life? Where do you live? Etc. Sure. Yeah, so I uh, originally from uh, India, New Delhi, uh, moved to United States around 1999. Actually, I used to live in New Jersey, New York, that tri-state area before I moved to California. So um spent a few uh, years over there, started as a technology consultant with TCS. Um, you know, many of us who have come here as TCS could relate. Uh, and then I, you know, um, long story short, I could quickly kind of, you know, started uh, focusing on my career. So got my MBA, moved to Virginia, moved a lot across U.S., Wherever I'll find an opportunity really to um, kind of push myself on career side, that's what I was doing. What I realized as I was going, you know, kind of up in my career is, um, you know, I I would feel stressed and, you know, overworked at times and uh, unsure about my um, life in general, right? Um, That's when I started running. I remember my first kind of early days was really to de-stress myself and, clarify my thinking and you know started hitting uh the trails um then my former boss uh inspired me to do my first marathon that was not very long ago actually it was 2014 so still less than 10 years when you put it in perspective when i i wasn't even sure i could run a marathon right i mean when he said marathon i said that's crazy distance you know um and then I started i remember um you know soon after that i think i got introduced to you and the group I probably would have maybe run a couple of marathons when I just met you. Um, but then I started getting into uh, mountaineering because what got me, um, my endurance level, I guess, a bit more, you know, I was more aware of that or started to focus is when we went to Swiss Alps and I did, you know, a couple of uh, those big hikes with you. Um, and that's where I met Uni. And that's where the first discussion actually happened uh, in Switzerland over a trail. Where he said, "Oh, I'm an ultra marathon." It's like, what does that mean? Like, what does that distance even mean? And and he started explaining me that. It's like, wow, he's a, such a successful business person. If if he can find time to do that, like, I I have no excuse, you know. So that's where when I came back from the trip, I started researching about it and started reading about it. And sure, and there are many people amongst this group that were part of that inspiration. By the way. Um, so that's how kind of my my personal life started, in, you know, uh, and then obviously, you know, we'll talk more about kind of how the running journey started with uh, you as well. It's such a brilliant uh, storyline. And and, and uh, viewers, one thing you should note, she was not into big running or anything in school or it's not like she represented a state and, you know, she had this muscle memory just that in between she didn't, nothing. She hasn't done any running at all. Suddenly out of the blue, 10 years ago, in the confluence of events, as she explained, 
uh, running just came to her rather than she going to running and then she just picked it up and then it just built on it and she realized that running can also expose me to other cool things like mountaineering meeting friends meeting new people with similar interests blah 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 and then one common thing that you will note guys in sonia's story in fact two common things one is she keeps herself motivatable that means she looks for some reason to get motivated after that it is self motivation there is no need of any other person that's a good lesson you can learn from sonia uber lesson which is you always need to be in a state where you can be motivatable if you're always in a state where you're negative and you say hey no yeah yeah oh that will not happen this will not happen you will not get motivated you need to be self motivated and motivatable and i think sonia is is, a, is an exponent par excellence there the second thing you will soon realize as we discuss or if you look at the past episodes with her is humility is at the core of anything and everything she does and says there are times when she will say no i didn't know what to do and i just went and did a full marathon oh uh, it's not as if she is pooing it that is how she is she is just humble she is literally humble and uh, sonia that's why you are so special and so glad that you know we connected across so many levels uh So let's now get into bad water because there's so much to peel there. So let's just dive directly into bad water. So what I thought, just to make it easier for all of us, because there's so much to discuss, I put together some slides and uh, also picked up some videos that we got in your race and journey and everything. So I put it all together in that. So if you don't mind, I'm going to share my screen and we'll use yeah. the slides as a way to, you know, go through the story. Okay. So uh, let me share my screen. Uh, let me know if you're able to see this. Okay, yep. you, you can see this, Sonia. Yeah, great. So, as I wanted to start off with Badwater, the world's toughest foot race. Now, there's a reason why this is called foot race. So, for context, guys, by now Sonia has done two or three such big races, ultra one thirty-five. Is that fair? Three races, if I'm not mistaken, on Miami, somewhere in California, and Brazil. Is yeah. that right? that's correct right three one so it's not as if she's coming and doing this for the first time anyway you can't do this for the first time in bad water because this is only for experienced ultra marathoners even for them it's not easy so she gets in and before we even talk about sonia's experience let the uh, let me and uh, sonia discuss a little bit and lay out what this is all about first okay so this is the race and uh, you know maybe you start off at uh, uh, this place starting of the bad water which we'll discuss it shortly and essentially it is below sea level is that fair to say uh, sonia like yeah. 200 300 feet yeah, it below. starts like 280 below sea level something Correct. like that and mm-hmm. it is called the bad water basin and uh, it is surrounded by mountains dry mountains which sort of radiate the heat into the central focal point which is the start of the bad water i i last time i went there that's how i saw mountains literally reflect the heat into as if it's like a focal point the heat it gets in, into it and it just boils there um so that's the starting point of this race and you start and then you go along these blue line blah 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 across all of these points and then essentially there's a nearby highest mountain <laughs> in the you know contiguous united states which is whitney to so go through lone pine go to whitney portal and end at this whitney portal at 14500 feet approximately <laughs> sorry so that's yes. that's that's pretty much it right that any any thoughts or comments on this one 
Yeah, I, I think you covered it. What makes this course unique is you're crossing three mountain <coughs> ranges, right? Um, you're going from the lowest point to the highest in 48 states. And then uh, the heat factor is something that's very unique. And and I think a lot of people say, yeah, temperature is that, that. And I, again, I, I couldn't put this in context until you actually show up there. The key is it's so dry heat that it's like unbelievable. Your throat, like my throat got burned just from breathing. It, it, it's, it's like that. It's a very different type of heat than anywhere in the United States, I would say. My God, and I agree with you. Those of you who might have sitted the Badwater Basin will 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 concur with you because seriously, Sonia, I went there to Badwater. Yeah, stand for one minute, forget about anything, and we all were together. We are all full marathon runners. It's not like we are novices. We just wanted to, just for the sake of it, we wanted to do a hundred meter run in that Badwater Basin, you know. <laughs> and I have it on video. By the time we finished hundred meter, like fifty meter forward, fifty meter backwards. By the time we came back hundred meters, I had a splitting headache. Yes. So I can see why you say that it's almost a dry heat sucks the liquid out of your body uh, kind of a scenario. So that's yes. how you start. And while heat is a problem, talk about this, Sonia. Elevation is another crazy thing here in this <laughs> in this thing, isn't it? Three hills you need to climb. Few thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, as you see from the course uh, visual, right? The um the the hills start really um after i would say around mile 40 or something and people talk a lot about the last so there are three uh, peaks basically three hills right uh, and the most often talked about actually is the last one because it ends up at the highest uh, uh, mount whitney and it's a popular spot but i would say um, as the course suggests the first one probably is the toughest one it's it's very steep and, and, you know, you still have a long way to go, right? So it's like re- relatively, you're fresh, but you know that there's a lot more to uh, you have to go. So a lot of people struggle here to figure out like how to conquer this. And then the second hill, uh, uh, although doesn't look as steep, is like never ending. This is like, I from what I recall, it's like 17 or 18 miles stretch. That's all uphill. And visually, it doesn't appear you're going uphill. For some reason, because there is a little bit of that rolling hills, you feel like you're actually either flat or down. And and you always wonder, like, why is my calf so hurting bad? And then you look back, you say, oh, my gosh, like, you've been going up for, like, nonstop 18 miles on, on asphalt in 130 degrees. Um, so that was probably the, the toughest part I faced was the second hill. And then obviously the third is leading up to Mount Whitney, sorry, which is really the steepest uh, out of all. So yeah, that's what makes this race uh, very challenging is, is hills combined with the heat, combined with the distance, all on road, asphalt. Um, you know, it's it's a very interesting combination of variables, I would say, that are all thrown into one race. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, you, I can see right, when you're saying this, I was looking at this. That first mile, 5,000 feet, like the first hill is a 5,000 feet elevation over 16 miles. The second one is like 10 plus 8, 18 miles and about 3,000 feet elevation. So you have to run continuously 18 miles like this, like, you know, rolling hills. And then, of course, the final mile is the steepest. I mean, talk of this final mile. I mean, everybody thinks it's just one mile, but this is after running, what, 130 odd miles. And you suddenly have to look at the steepest ascent in the last mile to finish this thing. 
oh my god if 7.4 degrees average overall so this is guys this is what we are looking at this is not just a 135 mile if 135 mile itself is hard put in temperature put in these kind of crazy hills in between you are not talking of you are now talking of being at the top of your game both in terms of tactical execution as well as strategy of execution we just go and just run faster like we call talk about this like don't run too fast in the beginning those are all things in a typical full marathon it will affect your maybe timing here it is equal into shutting it down you can't do it that's it the race is done so you got to be on top of your strategy as well and that's what we will we'll discuss this with sonia uh, next few slides just for everybody you know this is where the bad water basin is as uh, you know starts here then they go through these furnace creek and stove uh, stove pipe wells like you can see the elevation slowly climbing up that's it there's a checkpoint here so typically what happens sonia when there's a checkpoint you're supposed to go and sign or something like that or what happens yeah. yeah they they look at uh, they check you in the timing uh, i think that's how it was um, broadcasted the results were reported uh, live based on each checkpoint as well got it and, and i was uh, in this area there seems to be a gas station restaurant and such so you what you run into the restaurant and pick up something to eat is that how it works oh yeah that's a great question because um, keep in mind we have a, i had a crew um, a, a team of four people who were uh, accompanying me right who were um were in a vehicle like a minivan uh, carrying all my food my supplies my water ice so they restock they had to restock at every checkpoint because the ice melts so quick and we'll talk about kind of the that as the heat aspect and how you manage that right that you're almost like you give me a, a a bottle filled with ice and it was like a soup in like 10 minutes you know it was it was that hot uh, so they had to restock ice um, multiple times like there were three or four coolers we had full of ice and stuff and they literally will melt in in like few few um you know hours so so that's why the these stops are very important to survive this race this ice melting inside the ice box isn't it it's, yes yes it's not able to keep the cold it's so hot outside my god oh man and then of course there's another town pass checkpoint 3 around uh, it's at a pretty high altitude already it's climbing up and then there's a nice restaurant i i'm sure when i'm running and suddenly see a pizza burger and restaurant i feel like stopping and just going and having it i'm sure you had that thought we'll discuss this a little bit uh that was the checkpoint 4 in uh, panamint springs and then of course you start climbing up it's their distances are getting higher and higher elevation is getting higher across these three points and then of course the lone pine which is the sort of the base of the whitney uh, mountain and then of course you start climbing up with the switchbacks i can see like these switchbacks i i mean the interesting thing is is this the same switchback sonia that we normally do Yeah, the one. Oh my goodness! Yeah, the one you drive to um, the start line. Remember those switchbacks. The, the these these are those switchbacks. Oh my God! This is hard switchbacks, but she has to run these switchbacks. Uh, my question was: these switchbacks just before the Whitney portal. You know, you remember when we were hiking, we were switching. That is the one you are running. Yeah, that's the one you are running. Or eighty or ninety switchbacks, uh, kind of a thing. Oh my God! Yeah. So, folks, those who are climbing Whitney, we all come to uh, those who just do Whitney. Forget about the race, folks who want to do Whitney. And Sonia was with us too for that, just for fun. I think she was just there with us. Uh, Sam's birthday was that day, and she brought cake and all for that. If you remember, Sonia. 
But we go to Lone Pine, just relax, and then start, come to this base camp and advanced base camp in the Whitney, and then we do these switchbacks, which we call it hard. Because after resting in Lone Pine and first time you're climbing, we come to the uh, base of the switchback. Switchbacks are like roads going like this. That's what it switches back. For those of you who are hearing it for the first time, the idea here is switchbacks. When you see switchbacks, that means you're ascending at a very rapid pace. That's really what switchback is. So if you look at the picture here, this is the area most likely the switchbacks are coming in. You know, you can see all these, uh, see Lone Pine is here, the base of the, the mountain. And then you start climbing at this point onwards or somewhere here, the switchback starts. And then you start climbing up. That's really how the, the setup is. And that is when she is supposed to hit around, I don't know, 125, 130 kilometers into the race, to uh, 30 miles into the race. So the last seven miles is crazy switchbacks that she has to do and finally get to the Whitney portal. Uh, so that's really what this race is about. And now I hope you get a sense why this is the toughest road race. Okay. So with that, let's actually now dive into Sonia's experience. And uh, now that you've understood what this is about, a little bit about this picture, Sonia. Yeah. So this is taken at Furnace Creek um, a day before the race. Uh, you know, we just went to check out, I think um, this is before the start of the race. So you see the the picture has uh, all the members of my crew. So the four people uh, in the picture is who supported me. I couldn't finish this race without them. So kudos to them for, for selflessly uh, supporting me. But you see the most importantly, me pointing to the temperature. And this is like, this is not when it's the hottest, uh, by the way, this 114 was um, the time we were there. But this number, uh, the the highest I saw was 125, um, you know, at, at some point. And then I was told that it hit to 128 after that. Um, and, and the asphalt, basically, which you can't even capture that temperature because that's not reported anywhere, is generally 10 to 15 degrees higher than what is captured over here. So that just to give context of the heat. I mean, that's where, um, you know, people generally say that your shoes melt, although my shoe didn't melt. But definitely, you, if I show you my three pair of shoes that I use, they're, they're not, I don't think they're usable anymore. <laughs> so it is, it is absolutely insane heat. It's all, it's literally like running in an oven, you know, like in summer when we do this burgers on the oven, think about it, just running on top of it. Oh my God. And not for a few minutes. You're talking about hours and hours. And a few words about this support team. I absolutely agree with you. This is selfless service. And without them, you can't do this. So how did you get these uh, folks? to Like, how, is there some process to select them or how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question again. I, I um, So first of all, when I started thinking about bad water, uh, they always tell you selecting your team is probably the most important decision you will make. It's like no other sports, right? The team actually... Uh, matters and and your performance is reflective of how the team dynamics work so if you have a team that doesn't get along or you know don't have that kind of uh, relationship with each other where you can trust like blindly trust right not just trust it doesn't work so for me that was really important part was to find people or pick people that I absolutely you know can say I don't care what mental state I am in they're going to make decision on my behalf I almost empowered them to and you had to trust that whatever they tell you at that time, that they are doing it in best interest of you, right? And that was absolutely, I mean, 
I cannot tell you how selfless job this is. I I, I don't know if I could do it ever. Um, uh, you know that my commitment is next time I probably want to be on the crew. Uh, but uh, coming back to like, so you see four people. Um, I'll quickly go over that, not to bore the audience, but it's really important and they're part of my life and who I am. So probably deserve a little bit recognition here. Uh, Mardi that you see on the right hand side uh, in red shirt is. Um, my Japanese friend who I run almost three times a week now. Uh, we've been running together for a year or so. Um, I met her as part of my running uh, local running community here, uh, Thousand Oak Pacers. And she is a doctor in making. So she's actually doing her uh, doctorate, I mean, doctor uh, medical degree. Um, so that to me, that one, not only she knows me as a runner and my style, her her background were, was an immense value to me, right? She can tell me the science behind problems and running more than anyone else. So she was um no brainer for me and very meticulous, by the way. She brings a structure that I, I can't, um, so uh, compliments me. Brian, uh, next person, is actually a hiker. He's a mountaineer uh, backpacker. So I, I've done multiple uh, backpacking trips. Great problem solver, very analytical stays calm no matter what happens you know earthquake comes flood comes i could tell he would be just the calm as anyone else and will just take the problem and solve it so um he's not a runner but i trusted his problem solving skill so that's why he was he was he was my actually crew chief so you have to have a chief that basically manages the whole team as well um so he was my crew chief um Marcelo, the next guy, is from Brazil. So he actually met me first time when I was running Brazil 135 uh, and helped me um, kind of execute of certain things there. So I started to trust him so much that I decided to fly him uh, all the way from Brazil. He just came for this race. Uh, so super, super valuable guy. And the last person is Ali, who um, there's one uh, philosophy about bad water is and you'll relate to it, Bala, more than anyone. It's like the uh, act of giving back to the community, right? If, when Once you become bad water veteran or even to run the race, you almost, one, have to show that you're a good human being, you're mentally resilient, and more importantly, you're doing something for the community. Um, so, uh, and then secondly, you have to almost commit that you will continue to do that um, and return back to the runner. So this... They say save one position in your crew for someone who's aspiring to run bad water uh, at some point so that they can get gain experience um, seeing you. And so she was one of the person I selected. Uh, she's a CEO of a big company, very successful executive. So I could relate to a lot of our work-life balance issues. Like how she balances everything in her life is amazing. And she wants to run bad water one day, hopefully uh, next year or year after. So she was there to not only experience that, but also she's a strong uh, triathlete. So she brought a lot to the table and she knew about certain things more than anyone because she had run some really cool um, Ironman and, and she's done really well. So anyway, that's about my crew. Wow. And so richly deserved time allocated to them, Sonia. This is very important, as you rightly said. Kudos to them. And I'm assuming they're all doing it on a volunteer basis, isn't it? All of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I Think about that a volunteer basis, uh, standing in the middle of sun, and you know it's not just one day, one hour, two hour. It's almost 26, 28 hours, and for them, I'm sure they are preparing even more before and after to ensure that you know you are in good, taken care of. Kudos to all of you. I'm sure you'll hear, you might hear this 
just wanted to say on behalf of the entire running community that we have uh, you are our true heroes uh, gentlemen uh, la- ladies and gentlemen here thank you for helping our hero out sonia and uh, it's it's a pleasure hopefully our our path will meet at some point soon um okay so moving on sonia what i wanted to do is first i want to say start off with just a view of how it all started so how we want to do this is let's break your bad order mm-hmm. marathon into five full marathons and one 10k at the end you do all this super simple bad order is done so guys who want to do a, a marathon a bad order it's very simple if you can run five back to back full marathons and just throw in a 10k which is simple right in the last uh, last part let's see how simple it was for sonia and you are done with full marathon a bad order that's what it is and um, let me start with a little bit of video we'll juxtapose the video with the, with your comments uh, so that it brings uh, sight sound and motion kind of an effect so the bad water started at i think 9 pm race in the night which is good instead of starting at the daytime and heat and all that so this is how it starts anybody is there today ஒரு So yeah. let's, uh, let's pause here we'll come back to this uh, this one again but before you get into the first full marathon which i've broken it down here that we should talk about um can you give us a, like maybe a couple of minutes on what was your training what was your path to badwater like what was different from other sort of ultra marathon training that you did yeah uh, so i um, as we talked about like i The first thought of bad water by the way came to my mind just a year ago. So I had a lot of people will tell you they've been wanting to get into this race for years, 10 years. You'll hear like people saying, "Oh, like I've been working 15 years, 10 years." It's crazy when you meet athlete and they've been working towards this. I got super lucky by the way. I have to believe that I'm lucky in the sense that I first thought about bad water after our trip to Whitney. If you recall at we had uh, done mount whitney together when you guys stayed in death valley i had come back from that trip i ran a marathon next day that was just poor planning on my part that wasn't by design i just completely forgot i had booked two events back to back but i had to do it because i don't want to back back out so i come back i ran my marathon and i felt really good you know so i was and that's when i heard about bad water people started to say uh oh you know you do this you should think about bad water so i googled and i was like wow i was intrigued with just what would it take to run something like that a year ago that felt like undoable almost right my first reaction was hell no this is absolutely not for someone like me i'm not ready for that i can't do it um but then uh, you know what happens with me and this is just who i am one th- something gets into my head i i can't get it out so i started to every night i would read a little bit about bad water like before going to bed and the more i read the more drawn i was towards the race there's something about this that just completely 
you know, um, drew me and I knew I had to get out of my comfort zone to even think about that. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. I ultimately, I remember within a month of hearing that I had um, almost made up my mind, I wanted to run that. Even then, I remember running with Marty, my friend, and I talked to her about like bad water for the first time. And she's like, when do you want to run? I said, I, it looks like it's a three to five year plan for me. Um, you know, so somewhere around three to five year, I would probably make it because I need a lot of experience. Um, and I'll try to shorten the story because I can speak forever, hour, how quickly it changed for me, <laughs> obviously. Then I do the research. First thing that clicked to me is when I started to look at all past attendings. By the way, there are 100 people um, selected, very high standards to get in, as we talked about. But these are people who had to demonstrate a lot more. But more importantly, three ultra marathons, not just any three, three tough ultra marathons at a minimum at, at a certain pace. Right. They look at the pace. They look at you know a lot of things. But what I saw when I was looking at all previous runners, there was no woman from India or, or Asia in general. You know, you'll see a lot of UK, Canada represented, all these Western countries. So I kept wondering, it's like, I, I remember still still asking the questions, like, why are people from Asia, like female, not represented here? I, I, I can't believe that we are not strong because if anything, I you know, I know about my culture or generally about women. We are more mentally resilient, right? Because we we deal with a lot of shit in life. Uh, to, let's be honest. So we are mentally much strong, yeah. and and our upbringing was such that we like I was on ghee and turmeric and you know all these foods from the day I'm born, right? Um, so it's like we eat well, you know, we are generally strong. Um, so I can't believe why we are not represented here. Like I I just had this, and and that's all I needed to talk about motivation that just got me like super super focused on this race and then um to just again keep it brief i uh learned about the qualification process there were three ultra marathons that you had to run and uh me crazy like this is august i'm sitting and i'm thinking oh my gosh if i have to run bad water i need to do three so i signed up three ultra marathon back to back i like october december january or something there were only three open i could find in a year all everything else was either closed or or the race had already completed so i just find the three i could find and signed up and i remember calling the race director saying okay i'm all signed up for three ultra marathons i think i can apply now and he looked at me, he's like, you're crazy. He's like, that's not how you run bad water. <laughs> you have to like have some real experience coming into this. And, you know, you, you three ultra marathons are not going to, I'm not sure that's a good strategy. And I, at that point I said, okay, Chris, I respect your opinion, but I'm going to, I'm going to do anything I can to make it. And, and if I don't make it, I don't make it, but I'm going to push really hard. So that's kind of just a little background about like how, to, how it all transpired, um, and you heard about my three ultras. Out of the three, I believe I ended up winning two of them. One as an overall winner, which was Miami 100. I, I was at finish line the first uh, person ever to cross that. And I was close to the course record too. Uh, and then my second one was um, Rio del Gallo. And my third one was Brazil 135, which I also uh, won uh, and, and was the course record. So so by this time, you know, I had uh, completed three races leading up to uh, Badwater. But okay. even then, Badwater was a big stretch from 
where I finished, which was Brazil 135 in January. I remember when they, they first announced that I got into bad water. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe it's actually happening now. They, it suddenly became so real. And, and then I had five months to get ready for this event, which was felt like was not enough, you know? <laughs> so you had to squeeze in a lot of things. Like I work on my speed, I work on my heat training, my endurance even further, my hill training, and we can go on and on. But there's a lot of things I had to still learn um, and, and, and really adopt before I was ready for this race. My God, what a story is that, you know, to, to you're right. There are folks who plan five years ahead. And I know I was with your journey. The day yeah. you had to go, Badwater was the day when uh, you won the 135 uh, that uh, Brazil event. And then you were like, hey, Bala, I am so nervous and scared now. I have to do this and I'm not ready yet and all that. Oh, my God. And just for context, guys, I did a quick Google search. So the number of folks who have summited Mount Everest, count everyone who has summited Mount Everest, it is around 11,500, give or take here and there, 100, 200. Okay. This is over the last so many years, hundreds of years, I think, at least 100 years. Mm-hmm. The number of folks, so 11,500, put that in your left hand. The number of folks who have finished Badwater Ultra Marathon is somewhere around 2,100. That's it. And out of that, to Sonia's point, if I, women would be what, like a small percentage of that? Or what's the approximate percentage? 25%? Would, would that be a fair number, Sonia? Yeah, I think approximate. So that means 400 to 500 runners in the history of the world have completed ultra marathon bad water. Out of the 400 runners, I think Sonia is the first, as far as we know, Asian Indian, Asian slash Indian women to complete it. That is, I don't even know that. I hope that gives you the context of what you are speaking here. Um, incredible achievement, Sonia. I mean, Everest on one side and bad water on the other side, and still there is no comparison. There's no comparison. So I, I, I'm, I'm just giving you one more challenge now, uh, live. I think you should do Everest as well at some point. <laughs> I'll put that. I'll put that thought in your head, and then you go from there. Oh my <laughs> God, <laughs> phenomenal. So let me ask you one specific question, though, in terms of your training, heat and elevation. These are the two things that you need to capture. So what was your specific training for heat and what was your specific training for elevation in addition to running miles and hills and all the other stuff that you typically do for us? Yeah, sure. I'll talk about elevation first because, um, you know, after Brazil 135, uh, I had realized that although I I won Brazil 135, you know, the uh, hills were still not my strongest suite. Um, So I, I wanted to focus on hill training and kind of, not just not just be able to do the hills, but do it at a pace that was my um, kind of goal. Uh, and this is the first race I would say uh, in my entire life that I went in with the mindset that I needed to achieve, not just hit the finish line, but hit it in a way that I actually it actually um, pushes me out of my comfort zone. So my goal wasn't hit the podium or, you know, be the top this, or it was really just give it all in and, and, and be ready for, you know, be uncomfortable. Right. So that, and, and I knew that for me to do that, I need, I wanted to run at a certain pace, even, um, you know, the portions that were hilly. So I trained, um, 
I worked on my VO2 max basically. I started to research. This is a uh, Suja will tell you, or you know that I always say I I don't know sometimes the the science behind running because I never took the time to study it. I just keep running, right? Yeah. But this is the time when I started reading and I and I focused on um kind of my interval training. You know, I was doing tempos run, all of that that you you coached all these community about, which I I had never never kind of done that. Um, so did a lot of that. I incorporated quite a bit of hill training as part of that. So I would, there's the hill in my neighborhood, like half a mile. Um, I think it's like three, 300, 4,000 feet in half a mile. I will, the first time I ran, I couldn't r- run the whole thing, right? I would stop and would be out of my breath halfway through. Um, then I started to say, within that hill, just to give you an example, I needed to go 100 feet extra next time. And I, 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 without feeling breathless. So that was my test. Um, and then I'll do a lot of things behind the scene for that. But every week, then I'll go and hit that hill to see my progress. And I started to see the improvement, right? Now I was like, not as breathless. And I could go a bit more and longer. And then within two to three months of starting that training, I did the entire half a mile, which is really steep. I mean, you have to see the hill to see what I'm talking about. Without feeling breathless. I mean, I could just run it you know like a champ so it's like wow that is that is some progress uh so i and then i started doing that three times you know five times and there was no limit right i kept pushing and kept pushing so i uh so there's a lot behind the scene i did just to get ready for um the pace you know improving my vo2 max improving my you know uh, speed just overall and the endurance level and more importantly, really getting my quads and my strength, you know, getting all the strength that I needed to uh, complete some of these uh, nasty hills that we just saw. Amazing. And the heat, how did you tackle heat, train for heat? Yeah, so they say, I did a lot of research again, and they say the heat is the last factor you incorporate. Um, at this time now, we were, one, unlucky because there was no heat. If you study what happened, you know, California, Generally gets um, hotter early in the year, but this time, you know, we were super cold and uh, almost to the point, you know, there was, there, when I got, get out of my home, it's like I had to wear uh, jackets and stuff. So forget the heat. Um, so we didn't, I didn't get any real heat training while running. So I had to drive a few times, a couple of times I d- uh, drove to Death Valley, but even that wasn't as hot as, as generally it gets. So mm-hmm. I tried my best to kind of mimic the conditions, but it wasn't very feasible this year. Um, so I started going to sauna. So I, uh, the way you basically do it, and uh, again, a lot of knowledge came from veterans, bad water people that I talked to. They say to simulate that heat through sauna. So you go in sauna, you sit for like 30 minutes, 45, an hour, and and you just have to uh, train your body to, when everyone, you want to quit and get out of that sauna room, you have to say you have to stay in, Right. So I remember first time, 15 minutes, like you were like completely drained. Like you just think you couldn't do it. Like it was not possible. And you have to say, no, I need to just sit here and just get through this time. And um, initially I was reading books or audibles, but then during later part, I would go to sauna and do some jumping jacks uh, or I would do, um, you know, yoga. A lot of times I had to incorporate, I started to incorporate cardio activity while sitting in 170 degrees to 180 degrees uh, sauna for an hour, by the way. <laughs> and and that's how you get your body uh, trained to uh, do what you did in that valley. 
Amazing. Of course, without training, this is not possible. It's so inspiring to hear that. So, with all of this, running the hills, running like, I don't know, easily, probably 100 miles a week training, probably. Is that how? Yeah, I, I hit the highest at 120 miles, but uh, I did a few weeks of 100 mile consecutive, right? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at anywhere between 80 to 120 mile week for a good right. four or five months, sitting in sauna for an hour, doing cardio. I mean, this is like dedication to the extreme and a sacrifice to the extreme. All of that you have done. You have come here now with your beautiful crew supporting you. And you start your first full marathon in the middle of the night. And look at that full marathon. A sub four full marathon. First full marathon. And I look at your split, Sonia. You're just cruising through. I think you are, I hope you are restraining yourself or this is after restraining yourself. It is looking like this or tell me a little bit about this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, as I said, going into this, I um, let me share a little secret here, right, with this group. Uh, so I, as I said, I wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone. And for me, I what that translated to, I did a lot of analysis about what, what would that look like, you know, for me. And I came somewhere between breaking 24 hours to, let's say, 26, yeah. 20 eight hour that was my goal like I knew the range was like you know 24 to 28 um so I had then translated that to what each marathon would look like and I had targeted like four hour marathon the first one four and a half two after that and then five and and like six something like that um and and provided a big caveat that I had to monitor my heart rate and make sure I don't you know, blew it off in the beginning, right? I had to stay within the within control. So when I started my first marathon, uh, the good news is, and I think all the training paid off because I, I couldn't imagine running at this pace and not having, still be in zone two. Like, you, you know, I was completely like under control, calm. Honestly, five months ago, this was not possible. If I tell you that. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is how quickly, you know, your body can adapt. So when I did all this training and focus on VO2 max and hill training, what happened was like now I'm, I increased my level. So running at eight-ish mile, nine-ish mile at that temperature, keep in mind, we are talking about close to 100 degrees, even in the night, you know, when we start. I, I mean, I was amazed at how great I felt. So I kept watching for the first few miles just to make sure I wasn't pushing. But once I knew that I actually wasn't, my heart rate was within control. I was feeling great. I mean, I was having fun of my life. I mean, th this is the time I'm watching. It's a full moon night. I'm looking at the stars, like talking to people, um, having great conversation along the way even, um, and just enjoying it. So I was like, okay, let's just keep this space. Um, so that's what I did. I just kept this consistent, as you see, and um, and hope that I will hit my target. And I was surprised, actually, it turned out to be a sub four uh, marathon when I first finished the first one. I mean, guys, uh, viewers, you will hear a sub four marathon is a sort of a goal of a, for, of a lifetime for many. Okay, for me, for instance, I can't even imagine a sub four. I don't even know uh, whether it's even there for me. But there are many folks and far and few in between. When I say many, I'm talking about a handful in the entire RSWB universe. Maybe about 10 to 15 is the max I can think of. 
Daybreak 4 is a big deal. It's a very big moment. We cherish that moment. Even Sonia would agree. Sub 4 is a pretty strong full marathon performance. And this lady here runs at about 100 degree Fahrenheit heat in the middle of the night, knowing fully well <laughs> that <laughs> the race is not even begun yet. <laughs> knowing fully well, the race is just not even begun yet, but she has finished her first full marathon. And as you look at it, elevation, there is no elevation gain. If you look at the chart, the bottom, top left, just flattish. In fact, it is a little down most of the times. So it is the easy portion of the race. But she felt good. Her heart rate is nice and steady. And so she keeps going. She has done better than what she expected. That's the good news. And now she goes into the second full marathon. So before I hand it over back to you, Sonia, as I look at it like a coach, I mean, this is my job. I do and look at other people's run. So when I look at it, I am looking at another phenomenal sort of pace delivery. As you look at it from an elevation standpoint, Towards the later half of the second full marathon, the elevation picks up from 129 feet every mile. It even goes up to 300 feet a mile. And you can see in the chart also, it is actually picking up. This is the first hill she was talking about. A 4,000 feet or so elevation gain that needs to happen in the end of the second full marathon and the beginning of the third full marathon. So this is getting into now a territory where she needs to hunker down. And as I see her splits, she manages it well as I see it. She does take the pace for the first, uh, whatever, 20 miles or so, where it is flattish still. And then still the, all the run training, that uh, the hill training that you're talking about is still in play, it looks like. A decent 10 to 11 minute sort of uh, pacing at that elevation gain. Heart rate is also surprisingly, I mean, it's just not even gone up. And you deliver a blistering four hours, 18 minutes, second full marathon. Talk about this, Sonia. Yeah, as I said, my target for second marathon was four and a half. And this includes, by the way, a restroom break. This this includes multiple stops to um, take in the ice from my crew. So one important part, which I learned uh, after uh, researching and more importantly, a couple of dry runs that I did in Death Valley, is that it doesn't matter what the external temperature is. What actually matters for your performance is what is your body temperature at the time you're running, right? So once I kind of learned that, I started to say, you know what, all these things is noise, right? There is 150 degrees, uh, you know, the thermometer is showing or it is whatever. It, it is absolutely not something I'm going to pay any attention to. What I need to pay attention is to you is my body temperature under control. I cannot afford to let it go up because once it goes up, which happened with me during dry runs, so that's why I'm glad I did. It takes hours to bring it down. And sometimes your race is over. You, you can't even bring it down. Like you get, you get heat stroke or you could, it comes in so many different ways. You can get you know cramps and you know your race is over. So there was no way I could take the risk of getting to the point where my body is overheated. So the, my... Uh, planning with my crew was that I needed ice every two miles. That's what we, we had decided. So every two miles, you know, you'll see in pictures, I had an ice bandana full of ice. So I started with a lot of ice and um, I would just, while running, I didn't want to stop. That was part of my strategy or plan. No breaks until it's really needed because I had, I had some target to hit. But the plan was that I will give them my ice bandana uh, with, you know, finished ice or melted ice. They will uh, in turn give me a fresh ice bandana full of ice. 
and I'll wrap it around my neck. Um, I actually squeeze a few ice cubes in my arm sleeves, you know, in my cap. And then you just keep running, you know, nonstop. So that was part of the plan. And I will tell you, it's my, my heart rate that's reflected here is a function of that proactive um, planning. And also, uh, I never allowed my body temperature to go up. And, and probably that's where a lot of people, probably rookie players make mistake. You know, they don't realize uh, the, the the impact an ice can make. Because a lot of people, when I was at the start line, were looking at me, it's like, why do you have so much eyes? Uh, and these were some first time. I was like, yeah, you'll soon, you'll soon know. <laughs> and sure enough, within after five miles, they were huffing and puffing and like their heart rate was going up. And I was looking at them. I was like, oh my gosh, like I feel so great because I, I my body temperature was well under control. Amazing insight is this. And um, this is almost around eight hours into the race now. So nine yeah. o'clock you started means you are looking at... Uh, the nine to 12 is three hours and then another. So around four, five o'clock in the morning. So has the day, like the sun has broken or how is it at that time? By the time you finish this, is the heat picked up in the valley? Yeah, it's it's amazing how quickly it picks up. Like I, I this, you know, as soon as the light, you see the light, you start to see the temperature start shooting up. That's and once the sun is up, then then it's like a whole different challenge because as you almost... I almost felt once the sun was up, like your your skin was burning. Like, as I said, you know, you take a breath just for um, running and you could see like your throat almost burning. Um, so I think my goal was to get as much distance as I can cover before the sun comes up, because I knew once the sun comes up, you just sometimes you just lose, you know, you have to slow down a little, okay. little bit to, to um, accommodate for that. But again, without without jeopardizing the overall outcome, right? And that was the toughest decision I had to make on my race strategy. Like how fast is too fast? You know, at this this point, that was a very difficult call. And um, as I would say as a person, I'm a risk taker. So I knew I was taking very uh, calculated risk, but I had confidence in all the training, Right. When I was self-doubting myself on my race strategy of going that aggressive in the first two marathons, which a lot of people cautioned me, by the way, my crew, my crew cautioned me. One of my crew um, guy who has run bad water looked at my plan, his jaw dropped almost. He's like, this is, are you sure you're going to run this pace, the first two marathons? I said, that's exactly my plan is. And but then I had to remind myself, it's like, trust, trust your training because did everything that you were supposed to at this point it had to it had to be realistic for you to run this and I trusted that and went with it and um, I'm actually glad I did I did uh, you know had some some tough targets to uh, meet but I was it was surprising how non-difficult it felt once you start doing it amazing combination of tactic Tactical execution and strategy needs to be there as we were discussing before. So here you are, Sonia, two full marathons done, feeling on top of the world. First full marathon target, four hours broken, three hours sub four marathon. Second mm-hmm. full marathon target, four hours, 30 minutes, broken that again. And here you are in this and the day as sort of the sun has come out and you know that. Still a major portion of the race is in front of you. It's not as if you can't like suddenly feel very happy and all. It is still there. The main race is coming and a small video of you running around this time. Uh, It's so inspiring to see. And 
look at this. And as I see, you're running, as you said just now, it seems like you are running nicely. Your your posture is good. Your cadence is pretty fast when I look at it. And you are just blowing through with that beautiful ice. Looks like that's the ice thing that you are saying around your yep. neck. And it's all like you, you put a cloth around your face so that the cool is still maintained as much as possible within your head space. That's where the heat is accumulated. Yep. And you are flowing. As I look at it, you are, you know, other runners, when you look at it again, it's a 10 second video. Look at her pace. She, her cadence is consistent. It is not like wobbly. Normally, when you get too exhausted, it gets wobbly. It is not. It is, she's in control of her cadence. And when you look at her posture, it is straight. It's not bending down or bending to the side. That means she's on control. Right now, she's in control. The race is not controlling her. She is controlling her race. Will that change is the question. And then let's keep going. <laughs> <to the next. laughs> let's keep going to the next one. Um, so what are we? Uh, so he, this is your full marathon three. Now, again, before I hand it over to you as a coach, when I look at that, full marathon two to three, you have actually negotiated the, that crazy hill and actually went down as well. And you are in the middle of the next descent. That's what this full marathon journey three is. And you told me four hours 30 is what is your target for full marathon three. And it looks like you exactly hit that, which yeah. itself is a stiff target, as you were mentioning. You hit that too in full marathon three. And now you're running in daytime. Now there is no respite. This is this is the, should I say, the, the real end of uh, the, now slowly the race might start controlling you as opposed to the other, expected at least. And when I look at your uh, pace, you are delivering some crazy sub eight pace. And I'm assuming that is because of the, dis- the, uh, the descent here, as you can see, like 500 meter descent. But I mean, running in descent is not easy too, especially when it is the third full marathon. And uh, those of you who are runners would know, I mean, it is hard on your knees when you're running down and you're running at eight sub eight pace, which is craziness. That means you're flying through, your heart rates are not, again, not a problem. So there has been a huge elevation in the first six, seven miles as you finish that hill. And then there is a major down and where you pick up pace, like see, you've got 12, 13, 14 minute pace. And then you just decide to like, okay, I have a target here. So you, it looks to me and the numbers tells me that let's just go for it. And you went for it like, I don't know, I think this is one of the fastest portion of your race till now. And then uh, again, elevation. It's not like it's, uh, there's no respite here. And then again, an elevation, 375, 362, and you are again hunkering down nine minute mile. And then you get to the 14 minute mile and you still finish a four hour, 30 minute marathon number three with very decent heart rate profile. What are your thoughts, Sonia? Yeah, so I had broken this section into literally mile by mile as part of my race planning. And I had uh, uh, given a good idea of how I'm going to attack finishing this within four and a half hour. This was not an easy four and a half hour marathon. It was, that's why I'm like right at the dot. Um, But because I had done the planning and then I replicated these downhills as part of my training. So I knew I had to hit like Eight-ish mile was my actually goal. So sub eight was, um, I, I'm surprised to see that. Actually, this is the first time I'm seeing it out here. <laughs> but I, I had uh, approximately said I had to be around eight, eight around uh, for me to hit that four and a half hour mark. And I, uh, as part of my training, I was doing significant downhill and uphill training, as I said, more importantly, downhill, because that's, as you said, that's where the quads and, you know, knee can completely get killed. 
and a lot of people had cautioned me um you know that to not do that or to be very careful with this strategy because if if you kind of kill your cord during this section your race is over and they say the race has had not even started until you're halfway through especially this one because you know you're you see all the hills in the end right so there had to be very careful planning of what pace would be an optimal pace um i would again say i wasn't pushing as hard this is reflective of still i i was leaving i was being a little bit conservative knowing that i had still a long way to go uh but i was feeling great as i said i was i was feeling super super happy during this time um because i had already hit like two marathons out of the park so like this is a time when i would say i was probably the most confident and i started to hear that's where the messages started to pour by the way my crew was updating me about hundreds of messages people cheering me up and it just it just gives me that extra push on and why why probably the pace looks better than what i had planned for of course thank you ranasai for being that small part uh, maybe a big part in sonia's you know how she was feeling towards this time see listen guys now when you look at it this is almost 13 hours into the race or in other words she is around 10 o'clock in the morning uh, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the morning is what you are looking at and as sonia said he picks up very fast so we are looking at that 114 that she showed somewhere around that 120 around that temperature she's elevation is there so maybe there's a little bit of cooling is there as a result but when i just eyeball it sonia you hit almost 8 or 9 miles sub 8 about 4 miles or so sub 9 uh, 3 or 4 miles sub 9 and another 3 or 4 sub 10 that means you are looking at 8 plus 4 plus 4 like almost like 14 15 out of the 26 miles is in the sub 10 range of which a good 8 is in the sub 8 range that's just a destroying the course even in a regular full marathon this is a destroying the course run and you're doing it at that kind of temperature is 8 to 10 o'clock in the morning and are running a third full marathon and still feeling great about it so this is getting to be a very very maybe another course record beating kind of a strategy here and i'm sure you're thinking that you know oh my god maybe there is a course record again i i just did it in the last race i did i was a course record winner you know so maybe it's time for me to not only create a history but create a blockbuster history i'm sure that is going through your head um but let's see how that pans out now huh? um so we now go into a small video of that think about this that elevation and that day look at this how this is how it looks like and somebody is running in front of you maybe you should talk a little bit about who that guy is but let's first listen and see the video and you see celebration and she is running good look at her cadence look at her posture i don't think she's on top of it she's getting some ice or water i guess on the pot yeah yeah and look at the terrain there it's dry heat and uh, she's just picking that up cap is out um and f- her friend is that doctor friend is just giving her whatever she can and Sonia is trying to catch that guy. So let's talk a little bit about this exchange with that guy, Sonia. <laughs> yeah. So as you said, so here is a little secret I will share with this group. By uh, I had done a couple of scenarios with my team. So one was like twenty-five-ish um, hour scenario, right? Uh, which was based on kind of roll up mile by mile, literally, uh, just to get an estimate. Not I never monitor my Garmin, by the way, mile by mile. I just go with how I feel. 
But I had done some calculation this first time in my life to see what would an estimate target time look like. There was one scenario I put, which I had hidden from, in fact, most of my crew, but I gave it to Marty, right? Which was called sub 24 hour (laughs) course record pace. So I said, Marty, if I can hit the first two marathons at this pace, at that point, I would like you to tell me that whether I'm on sub 24 hour track or not, so I can adjust my rest of the race accordingly, you know? So at this point, when I asked after two marathons, like, Marty, how am I tracking? She's like, oh, you're you're way over your best case scenario. And you are actually at sub 24, which means it's a course record, by the way, for people who don't know. Sub 24, the fastest female on this course was over 24 hours. And I went in with my dream breaking that 24 hours, right? Uh-huh. So third marathon, uh, well into third marathon, I'm well on track to actually break the course record. So I'm over the moons. This guy... Um, is actually the fastest runner ever on this course. And and uh, his name is Ishikawa. I may not pronounce it. Japanese guy. He is absolutely the star. I mean, he's he's an elite runner. Uh, this is all he does. Professional um, runner. And uh, still has the course record. Um, uh, and, and I ran with him, I would say, for more than a marathon. Uh, him next. Actually, at some point, I passed him. Uh, so this, that was not reflected here. Uh, so that's when I'm feeling the great. But again, as I said, this is still uh, marathon third, right? Um, and I had a long way to go. But I'm feeling good at this point. It's like you running with the Kipchoge of Badwater Marathon. <laughs> you yeah. know, one of the all-time greats running with you. And you're running for what, 30, 35 miles together with him. And you're very close. You're literally behind him. And I'm assuming you're like sort of keeping him as your motivation. Just follow him kind of thing. Right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, it's always good to have that, you know, especially for those of you who are running your first long distance races. It's always good to have a benchmark in front of you so that you're focusing your mind. And, uh, you know, Sonia's bad water is a benchmark at an Uber level for many, many people, I'm sure. But tactically having a benchmark during the race is to just focus on someone. And let him just be your guide. Even when Kipchoge did his two-hour, sub-two-hour race, full marathon, you saw a bunch of runners around him for various reasons. And one of the reasons was to just give him, just focus on that guy. Don't focus on anything else. The other guy will do a little pacing for you. Um, Beautiful that you identified this guy as your pacer. That was such a sweet moment out there. Um, So let's keep going. So now you are into the fourth full marathon. Now we are talking serious business end of this race right now. And as you can see, this is a flattish sort of uh, time before the second hill has been negotiated. Now we have to be ready for the third hill, which is the toughest hill, the last portion of the race. And when I look at it, now it's flat. Again, as a coach, when I look at these numbers, if you look at it, initial elevation, you are still finishing up the second run. After that, it's a bit of a flattish and then it's actually descent for some time. And when I look at it, yes, you negotiated the 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 initial elevation pretty decently in somewhere between 10 to 13 minute splits. And then, of course, when it came to flat, you found, uh, oh, let's let's just ramp it up a little bit. And you had the energy to ramp it up. This is I'm talking, folks, mile 90 plus nine zero. And she is doing a sub a sub 10 in 90th mile, sub 10, 91st mile. And then, of course. Something happened here, I know I would like to talk about it, but there seems to be a 15 minute, maybe you stopped and got some recovery or something there, it looks like. 
and then you pick up speed of course after recovery you go into sub 9 mode uh, with elevation drop so you are into a lot of sub 9 sub 10 territory for the next 8 9 miles and then boom you finish it off again very strong 4 hour 41 minute a sub 445 fourth consecutive marathon by now you have run 17 and a half hours almost and you are in the middle of the day maybe around i don't know 17 hours means you are talking of noon to 4 o'clock or some some crazy number like that talk to me a little bit about it yeah so this was this was when uh things started to go tough in terms of temperature by the way this was the the hottest part of my race uh it was first of all it was like someone is blowing dry a hot air on your face it it almost felt like a blow dry on you someone keeps on your face and you have to run you know within that like um so so it was i would say this was most challenging um i started to feel dizzy so i think my 50 wherever you saw 15 is where i started to stop and uh, had to re re uh, almost re- rethink about how i'm going to continue so i had to, to put a lot of eyes i took um you know some uh, things to cool my body off uh, restock uh, you know my eyes and my cap my arm sleeves all of that uh, and and then maybe even took uh, caffeine uh, probably that was the time um Uh, because the heat when it fits to your face especially when you have not slept right now keep in mind the whole night i've been running so you're deprived sleep deprived too um you, you know it started to make my my eyes were literally closing at this point like it was i had to just stay awake to uh, and and then still hit the numbers right my target for this marathon was 5 hours so i'm still pleased really? to see this sub sub um 5 um but but yeah it took it took me a little bit of that pause you know uh get under control so that i could push the accelerator button again which i'm glad i did um but i'm still feeling great this point at this somewhere in this race i actually you may not um have all the numbers i was actually number 1 overall at some somewhere around this race so i was getting updates from my crew They're like we can't believe that you you're just you you're leading the race at this point like people can't stop talking about you and <laughs> i can see the media and coming like now this is a time when you know people start to get ready to welcome you at the finish line almost right so i could see a lot of media van chasing me there were like people with video cameras so i started to feel excited actually and and i will make i made one comment at that point to my crew which i will come back to it later Well, you know, this is when um, I don't know if it was ego or what was self confidence. I, I um, but I learned very quickly not to do that. Uh, is when they said, "How are you feeling?" Like, and and I said, ah, "People call it toughest race. It doesn't look like tough to me." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to say that, uh, you know, and 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 soon things changed after that. So we'll we'll get to that when you show my last marathon numbers. <laughs> Sonia, you have you in one way. you had the right to be a little cocky little you know why <laughs> you've been blazing through all your four full marathons in sub whatever you had high end of your expectations this is 20 minutes better than what your expectation is and your expectation is to get 24 hour as per your timing and all the first four four marathons you've broken shaved off 10 12 20 up to 20 minutes here so you are already having a one hour of extra time buffer by now yeah. in your pocket yeah. so you are allowed to give a little bit be cocky and uh, if you look at it in a very you know uh, sweet way 
you crossed your hundredth mile at sub nine. I mean, <laughs> it is like eight forty six hundredth mile. I don't know if they even thought about it, but it just shows you that you cross the hundredth mile of consecutive running at sub nine. That just tells you that you are on top of your game, even though you are exhausted, heat, all that thing you talked about, and a little cocky. Of course, you better be cocky. I mean, you little. The, the operating word was little. But uh, as your crew rightly said, the race is never over till it is over. You're talking bad water marathon. You're talking the world's toughest ra- uh, race, foot race. It has got all the ability to humble you anytime it feels like. The boss is the race at the end of the day. I always tell even the mountaineers, you never think that you are doing the trek. It is the mountains allowing you to do that trek. It can pull the rug anytime it wants. Nothing you can do about it. And it is yes. similar here. So let us now get into the next portion of this humongous story. This is the fifth full marathon. Oof. Um, yeah. There's a lot we should spend here. And if you just uh, to set the context here again, this is climbing the Whitney portal up to the Whitney portal. So you're crossing the, the lone pine. Okay. And this is your fifth one. You're, the whole, you're looking at 23 hours here. That means you have not completed it. You are well on track to be the course record, sub, sub 24. But if I look at the timings now, by the time you finish the fifth full marathon, the course has taken over. The course has told you who the boss is. And you are now looking at a person who did a 3, 4, 40 or something last time. Now you're suddenly jumped up to six hours, 18 minutes. Definitely more than what you originally thought of. And the elevation is just climbing. It's switchbacks. I had told you initially, this is not, this is a relenting, unrelentless portion of the climb and the race. And you are looking at suddenly, when I look at this, suddenly it goes to about 15 minutes. That means the bottom has given way a little bit here around mile 123 or mile 124. Up to mile 123, you are on top of it. And then suddenly it is 16 minutes, 16, 17, 20 that means you are struggling to put that foot in front, still putting that front to, to yeah. everybody, still putting that one. But it is now a Herculean effect, effort as I'm looking through this and I'm looking at the chart here. And before I hand it over to you, I want to show that one video that captures the essence of what a bad water ultra marathon looks like to someone. And this is here, Sonia. Is this in Pine Hills at the foothills? I think this is the Lone Pine. Yeah, this is a Lone Pine. Lone Pine. Foot- yeah, so this is the foothill. That means if I go back, you are talking of somewhere here. Like yes. 124. 124 mile. This was probably at mark 124. Right. So before all this crazy miles takeover, this is how Sonia is. Take a look at how she is. You remember I was talking to you about how wonderful her posture was, how wonderful <laughs> her cadence was, and while how she looked when she was on top of the race. This is how she looks when the race says, okay, it's time for me to take over. Look at her. Come on, Sonia. You can do it. That's her daughter. I get goosebumps when I see this because she's not able to stand straight. This is because her body is saying, what the hell are you doing with me right now? Really, Sonia? 
That's what the body is telling her, communicating with her. Shut it down, go to sleep is what the body is telling. But Sonia is like, screw it, I'm going to do it. Back to you, Sonia. Talk to me a little bit about the video and about how you felt around this time. Yeah, this was the toughest race ever in my life. This this right here, the the fifth marathon. Uh, and there is a, a bit of background I'll share. So I'm as I said, I'm doing really great, really feeling pumped up. Honestly, relatively um, uh, on track to be, uh, you know, amongst top three, what, what I was hearing, uh, but also uh, well on track for sub 24, right? Um, then there was a little bit of um, thing that happened. So there was, a, just as a background, there was one section of the course that was flooded. Uh, in, if you know California, right, we got a lot of snow this year, uh, which was melting and was coming on the street. So one section of the course had to be closed due to that flooding. And this was, by the way, all planned. So what we had to do was we had, uh, there was a detour that was identified, which was on a really busy highway, uh, 395. Uh, but that was a much longer route. So what the plan was that you continue on that 395 and then for uh, 20 minutes, you had to be in the car with uh, with your crew so you get on a car, uh, they will drive you from point A to point B, and then you get out and you start running again. So the overall, the difficulty level didn't change, the distance didn't change, you know, but the detour was supposed to, um, you know, make sure that you're, you're still 135 mile race, uh, but you had to get in a car for those 20 minutes. Um, my strategy going into that was that's the 20 minutes when I will take a nap. Right. So that is what my crew had planned for. I had planned for. We felt really comfortable because then I knew then I had the hill left the last um, uh, half marathon, give and take like 20 miles. And I felt very confident that if I get a little bit nap, I could just completely smash it. Like I and I was prepared physically, mentally to absolutely break last section. Um, But I made a huge mistake in that. That's what they say, right? When you're so mentally tired, you can't think clearly. So my plan was to sleep. Now I'm full of excitement, adrenal. I can't sleep, first of all, right? My crew is saying, Sonia, take a nap, close your eyes. And like, I, I, I can't do that. So what I decide, which was very impromptu, I take a bunch of eyes back from my crew, the eyes that they were putting on my head. And I start to put that on my legs. I put it all on my calves. I put it on my quads. Uh, not for five minutes, two minutes, like full 20 minutes, right? Um, and this is what I realized what happens. Uh, when you put eyes for 20 minutes while you're sitting in car, completely static, now you're telling your body to just completely stop circulating the blood to that region, right? So so I, I, in un, un, uh, unintended consequence of me putting eyes was uh, my legs had no oxygen, going into that part of my legs where I put uh, eyes. And and I'm not thinking that. Right? I'm thinking, oh, I'm feeling a little sore. If I put eyes, I would regain, you know, I would reduce the inflammation so I can continue my race, right? That's kind of my, my reasoning why I put the eyes. In reality, I restricted the blood flow to the, that portion of the legs where I put these eyes, which were my quads, which were my knees, my calves. And so as soon as I come out of the car, which was, I would say, uh, mile 120. So here is another uh, mistake I made. Uh, so lesson to be learned for rest of the runners too. And you talk about warm up, I'm sure, Bala, as you as a coach. So I now at mile 120, I get out of the car. 
and me ambitious crazy i just say you know this is a time it's a flatter section i would just kill it so i started running fast like as fast as i can without any like warm up or any stretching and and that combined with the fact that there was no um oxygen per se in those muscles or the my blood flow was restricted due to me putting ice my legs completely gave up and i couldn't tell now i'm saying sharing all that because i've have time to reflect back on what happened but this time i get out of the car i started running first mile i was fine the mile 120 i ran uh, it it is second i was fine but then i remember somewhere around 120 to 124 a third you see that 10 11 is when you see my body started to bend so my right leg basically it's like paralysis attack that's how i felt Wow. like it won't it, it was not able to even hold my body weight so i started to like bend suddenly because it it couldn't hold my weight uh and i couldn't tell i was like what's going on i kept asking marty who's the doctor is like what's going on i can't i can't even walk now like i couldn't even stand straight um and nobody was able to diagnose at the time that what what was happening uh so anyway i continue 122 123 somehow i was struggling by the way i'm surprised to see 10 11 number here because mentally uh, this was the toughest part i've ever done and then you see 124 125 where the hill begins as soon as i started ascending my body completely gave up like when i say gave up i could not stand so the moment i would stand straight and i start to run i would fall down like literally i would fall down my body couldn't my legs couldn't collapse like a pack of cards basically yes yes that's exactly i was collapsing i was completely and and the funny thing is you couldn't tell what happened like how did i go from running four marathons that we just saw to what suddenly happened and and I, nobody could relate it to this um the drive right um at that time people thought maybe there was some injury uh you know there was i remember at at uh when i kept falling down uh my crew had to assemble and they kind of talked about do, do we call emergency do we call medical help um and we decided not to because you know the the story behind medical help is you know once you call that basically you have to do what they tell you to if they tell you you're out of the race or they had to take you out you, you can't fight that so i was not willing to uh take that risk i really needed to finish it so i made the decision not not call any medical help uh i i and i said i have to just keep running uh somehow get to the finish I, at that point my goal shifted from forget the pace it's out of window right as you said mountain had showed that it comes back to you at some point so this is how i felt it's like okay finally my time to be more humble now and appreciate the toughness of this race but that meant i just had somehow my mind was somehow i needed to get to the finish line at this point and i could not stand so i was crawling by the way both my hands i don't have a picture for that i declined to give any picture because i was at the, my lowest moment both my hands were on my knees and i was like think about i was almost crawling at that point so you'll see that as we go my last 10k was was me falling down multiple times i would get up i would ho- and and my crew couldn't help because they were not even allowed to touch me by the way that's a, a very strict rule so i kept falling down i even had to get up by myself because my crew couldn't even get me off the ground my like marty was saying just get up and just you know so she was uh, walking next to me or behind me you couldn't even uh, the rule says you can the pacer cannot be even next to you they had to be behind you so she was behind me just kind of 
verbally uh, describing me what was happening and encouraging me to get up and keep keep going. Um, but I found like this toughest part where I would fall on the ground. I had to get up and, and then somehow make it to a few more fees. And then I, again, I would fall down again, you know. So it was and, and, and I couldn't believe I, I just couldn't. This is like your nightmare now come true. It's like I, I couldn't I can't believe like I part of me just completely didn't want to accept this was real. I was like, this this cannot be true. Like I've trained so hard, right? This is where you start to say, why is it happening to me? I trained so hard. I worked so hard. I mean, I had my fabulous race and, you know, mile 125, I'm like struggling to walk. And this is how uh, the rest of the, up till the finish line, by the way, my race was. My God, what a story, Sonia. What a story. I mean, it has got, uh, you know, if only moments, you know, if only I had not done that, what could have happened moments. But there is also a moment where, okay, it has happened. Now what? Yes. A problem solving moment. You know, there is so much to unpack from here. And I just want to just say a few things that I, as a key takeaway from this story, and I hope you will agree with me. The first takeaway that we say to every runner again and again is don't do anything new in a race. Yes. So if you have planned for something, you stick to the plan. Don't do anything new because you do not know. And this has been a, this is the craziest example of how something last minute on the whim of uh, some uh, thought yes. process, you did something that was not planned for, you know, so your support team cannot help. They haven't researched it. They haven't thought through all the issues. You just did it. And then you didn't know what was the impact of that. And look at what has happened a small thing and i mean it's not as if you lost it but maybe you could have been the winner course record you know that's 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 one story there the next story is the story of problem solving right it is uh, you know we literally this week only we were discussing about why it is not a straight line and why sometimes you know things can go haywire this is an example of that. You cannot plan for it. But then just because it is going haywire doesn't mean that you shut it down. You got to solve the problem. And uh, you did that in your own inimitable way. You said, I've come thus far. I will not let it go. Just yes. because of whatever. You, at that time, you didn't even know why, what is happening with your body. You probably would have bucketed that into your body is just shutting down because it's too exhausted. You don't know that it's the ice thing that is causing or whatever. At that time, of course, you can't. Uh, so you problem solved it live with the notion of let me not just uh, just say shut it down. Let's see what is the other way of doing it, catching your knees or bending down or, or crawling on the road. You know, it is about, okay, I can't do a 10-minute mile, but can I do a 20-minute mile? Probably that's the question you had asked yourself. Okay, let me do a 20-minute mile. In your parallel, 20 minutes is like almost walking. But you ate your ego up and just said, let me do a 20-minute mile. You know, and that's the 317 feet of elevation. That's another beautiful story that's coming up here. The third beautiful story that is coming up here as you are explaining this, Sonia, is that how you never let the larger goal fade. You know, it's when, when you have the larger goal in place, automatically you become a problem solver. You know, so those of you who are doing a full marathon for the first time, your larger goal is to do a full marathon. So today, some discomfort here because you had to lose sleep half an hour here because you had to wake up two hours before to do the race. All of that is a tactical decision that will flow automatically once you're clear about the larger goal. 
you know so sonia i'm like hats off to you if let's say we had this podcast where you had in none of these issues and you went and just did a sub 24 and got the course record yes i would have enjoyed that but this also i enjoy quite a bit because it brings the true character in you you know it's not you you sort of got humbled accepted who the boss is and automatically adjusted it <coughs> to do this so you are now 23 hours into the race <laughs> about 8 o'clock in the night in darkness in the switchback i'm assuming it is during the switchback time right. and it is not easy those switchbacks are not easy <laughs> and you are struggling to even stand straight but the race is not over you still have that 10k under this context that 10k is not a easy 10k it is a tough tough 10k <laughs> we saw this let me go to the 10k come on this is that 10k let us look at this 10k a lady who did a sub 4 3 hours 50 minutes or 40 minutes or so full marathon a lady who did 4 hours some 40 minutes or so just in the fourth full marathon now she has to do just 6 miles in a switchback that is taking her down and she's not able to stand only and she does that 10k in 3 hours 21 minutes of excruciating pain if that is not uh, exaggerating it here because if you look at the top left guys this pain is because of that switchback as well almost literally vertical descent uh, ascent you can look at the elevation here some of the highest elevations 488 feet in a mile 546 549 so this is like crushing elevation gain even when uh, you are uh, when you are telling me sonia about that hill race that you trained for i don't think it had this kind of elevation and that when you were training for is that fair to say the elevation like 550 feet elevation per mile yeah it's it's hard to replicate that course that course you know you had to really go and train for this yes. so there where you can train something yeah. like that even in training time when she was in good shape she didn't negotiate 550 feet a mile here she has to do not one not two one two three four five six seven almost six to seven miles of extreme elevation at an altitude about 12000 13000 feet where oxygen actually starts going down keep that in mind anything about 10000 feet oxygen actually has a, a non uh, should i say trivial amount of oxygen reduction is there at that elevation so she has to do that she's exhausted and she has to finish this race and here is how she did it you know da- hunkering down tell me talk to me a little bit about the last 6 miles sonia yeah so the interesting thing is this is now this is a time when people start to question if i had a medical issue that needed attention right as i said because of how extreme my leg became uh, was kind of not able to keep up uh, take my body weight um so there were i i i still remember there were people who was thinking i this is now a dnf like I, which means in ultra world do not finish so so there were some people who were saying oh my gosh she's going to dnf like there's no way she can continue the way she's doing um it's, it's just not doable 
and 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 i would say this is a time i would bring my running community so what's happening in your head is very interesting right you go from negativity like victim part like why did it happen to me it's unfair to then me saying well it probably it's fair because people told me it was the toughest race and it just comes in different shape and form but now the course is showing me why it's called the toughest uh, foot race in the world so i started to accept that i said okay i don't have to be victim here i knew i was signing up for the world toughest race and this is what it is right uh, but that's where the true test begins i mean this is now how i finish or continue this 10k is really is the key and that's when i start believe me or not i was thinking about our, our rhwb community i was i was mentally trying to inspire me my husband was relaying all the messages to me uh, from you know all the support messages that were coming and in my mind is like i i the entire community is looking at me and have confidence in me i better continue but <laughs> i say one foot uh, you know in front of other as you said and and the other thing is i had my flag right my uh, still i was visualizing finish line with my flag you know bigger cause for me was you know f- to represent that an indian woman asian woman is as strong as men that that is what has always inspired me to do these tough things and and at that point i i started to say okay this is a moment when that toughness comes into picture right i mean when things are perfect you know it's it feels easy but this is a this is a moment i had to say real has i cannot give up i had to just continue even if i have to slow down and and by the way this is a time this was this blew my mind by the way i asked my uh, crew at that point what pace you had to do to uh, still be at the top and he said you could just walk the whole thing you are way hours ahead of the next runner so it's like sonia you'll make it still as a top 4 or 3 at the time if you just walk to the finish line like you forget all the pace you had i had kept so much buffer like or built so much buffer actually was still uh, at mile 125 i was still looking at sub 24 but then i gave that i, I mean i put that uh, goal aside and i said okay i'll just do my best at this point and and I, my goal was to get to the finish line with a smile <laughs> that that was my and 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 you know not having in, any serious uh, medical issues uh, and yeah so i i just continued um, one step at a time what a fascinating fascinating finish i get goosebumps and i hear this sonia and i'm only focused on this last amazing mile you just need one mile to go and it's 38 minutes the longest minute, uh, uh, split for you i'm sure this must have been the most excruciating one mile the end yeah. is yeah i massage gun i literally i was walking with my massage gun and massaging because i, could, I there's no way i could get my my legs to work otherwise you know incredible <laughs> and with all that with all that this is how the finish looks like <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Okay. You got to back up. So yeah. You did it. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god. Wow. Oh, oh my god. So congratulations Sonia. Oh my god. Love you. Oh my gosh. The toughest thing I've ever done, I think. You did your best in for the way. That's the wrong way. I mean, I would say even in that it is not as if I mean I could still see the energy in your face. It's not like you were down and out. Even though you're down and out from a you know sort of the race is taken over you, 
but still you made it happen lady and that is how a greatness happens bottom of our heart congratulations yeah. let me show you the the winning uh, thing as well this happened how long after the that this was right, right after the finish line this is raised uh, director chris costman who is um, kind of reminding me what i told him what my pace would be when i first signed up and so he's <laughs> reminding me of that <laughs> and i mean that means you're still exhausted still i can see you're not standing straight so still you have that leg and all that issue and what a moment it's always got blood on her okay. yeah. 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 congratulations sonia sonia fantastic good job good job you're waiting for it awesome <laughs> You are an official finisher of the Badwater 135. And the second place woman. This is fantastic. And I believe she's fourth overall, right? Yeah. Sometimes we can't figure it out. It's tough with the ships. So you were like, put me in the first wave. I'm a beginner. I'm a rookie. I'm going to go slowly. So I compromised on the second wave, but. Anyway, so Are you sure I'm second? Yeah. And then hold on a minute. And this is also for you. This is the official finisher shirt. Okay. So take this with your hands from the top like this, and then and then hold on to a couple of those fingers. Oh my God, Sonia! What a incredible finish! Let me stop sharing. Um, I think I have it. That's yeah. That's all the presentation I have. Um, but Sonia, just I don't. We we spoke for maybe one one and a half hours. I don't know how time flew. Um, I felt like I did it with you from the bottommost part of all our hearts. just wanted to say how proud we are of you and what an incredible story that unfolded in front of us and especially for me what an incredible story that has been unfolding for the last i don't know 5 6 years with you seen you sort of grow from strength to strength to now kind of a world icon right now a legend um any few parting words my friend actually a few few key messages uh, bala which i think are important is keeping the race aside right so the first one is yeah, as i said the role this community played in my journey and will continue to play this hopefully this is not the end <laughs> um, i still feel like i'm just beginning um is is um, enormous i mean it is absolutely the best thing that have happened to me uh, i still remember as i said my first switzerland trip with you aware the the thought of ultra came uni inspired me right um you know that is how i first decided to run my first ultra and and then i think my and a uh, lot of people you know i i may not share all that in whatsapp i'm not very good at it i read a lot of messages uh, from this community um i mean they play a big role in inspiring you so for me that has been a very big part of uh, how i've come this far uh and i continue to learn you know um the second part i would say is there are a lot of takeaways from this race that i apply to the real life uh right um you know as you said like i hit the lowest point and almost felt like it was not even possible to continue like it was 
most people would say that that was not realistic for me to continue doing that 10k uh, crawling like literally i had to crawl uh, at times um and and i would say that's the lesson you know for our life right i learned is like when you are at that lowest point you think you can you actually can you just have to put one foot uh, uh, you know in front of the other the third why i asked even chris cosman is like am i really second right um i i didn't believe it because i had i was feeling so negative getting to that finish line that all this you know hard work in the end like this something happened right so negative like injury and there goes my race out of the window um but instead of that i tried saying positive and said okay you know i i just need to show that an uh, indian woman can finish this race so my goal had switched from whatever pace whatever goals to sexing i just need to finish because if i can't if they take me to emergency or some medical what kind of message will that send so whether that was a good decision or not i can't say still um but there was a reason right there was a bigger cause that was motivating me to uh, ignore all the negatives and just keep keep uh, pushing and when i actually you see me surprise i'm second it's like i i can't believe and i say that in real life too right you think you can't accomplish something because you're feeling so low or something seems so impossible i i feel like you just need to stay motivated and and positive and and you'll surprise yourself and w- what's possible so for me the biggest joy was still still hitting some numbers you know yeah i didn't break my sub 24 um and the race director did say you have unfinished business so uh indirectly he was saying you know you you come back uh, uh whenever you know and show us what you can do so he said if you want to do 24 hour less you you know you come come here and show us um so so there's some some part of that motivation but more importantly you know i i was very um blessed to be supported by the community by my husband my daughter who were there at the finish line obviously who were a big part of supporting my training uh and reflecting back now like 5 months ago when i started this i if you would have said i would be a second woman top i mean they were talking about a few world champion here by the way on the course i had four four times world champion victoria brown to uh, hardwee lewis who is has us world record of uh, most miles done in 72 hours i mean we are talking about some serious pro athletes this is a run of professional athletes competing against each other right um and who am i this is my put in perspective this is my fifth ultra marathon uh ever in my life and my first time bad water right uh, with very like only 5 months given for training compared to people who have been training for years to be in this race and 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 mentally preparing physically preparing i was i had very short kind of notice to even train but i put my mind and i put a lot of focus and rigor and and obviously worked hard and 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 you know here is the outcome i mean second female winner i i still can't believe sometimes uh, when i think about it but uh, it it reflects what you, you know each one of you is capable of doing by the way it's, i'm not any you know extraordinary person i'm a very ordinary person who got motivation from this group and decided to run uh, and continue to push my limits um so yeah there's a lot to be learned from this experience even for me amazing ordinary people doing extraordinary things is entirely possible by the way uh, the winner the ladies category winner what was her timing ashley paulson hers was 22 hours something something okay, like so that like 2 yeah. hours is basically or 2 yeah. 3 hours oh, 
more maybe better than that i can't remember incredible um so i know you you threw a tantalizing possible next step so my last question for today um what's what's next for you are you even thinking about it or you're still nursing your wounds <laughs> oh i'm still i'm still, i'm relaxing right now i would say a few thoughts i don't have a specific target i do um aspire to run this race uh, again not not next year but whenever yeah whenever opportunity presents uh, because it is definitely one of those experience you go from lowest to highest point and i relate to like your life journey so there's something very spiritual i find about this race which is why i probably would like to do it again um but then you know from a personal world's perspective i i got a couple of calls um from some professional athletes inviting me uh, to a, a couple of big races i got actually calls from world world championship team um kind of seeking my interest so there's some some things brewing nothing is final but uh i definitely think that um i have a lot to learn and i will continue to push and i'll continue to push myself out of my comfort zone that's my only goal awesome blaze that path away lady keep blazing that new path that uh, here to for unknown to ordinary people like us uh, and exp- and uh, you know in the process inspiring hundreds and hundreds and millions maybe of people um who know that all that separates greatness from normalcy is just hard work dedication and focus uh, if you do that you can make it and that belief that have that belief in yourself that you can do it which is all which is what you epitomize um hey sonia um congratulations again i've told you a million times but i know i feel like i haven't said it enough um congratulations again for this uh remember i put in that thought of everest in your head so brew that a little bit for some time <laughs> just keep brewing it who knows what will happen and, <laughs> and for the audience here i promised you a blockbuster episode to kick start uh, by all counts just by counting the number of hair that is just standing tall in my skin right now i can tell you this is a blockbuster episode enjoy this and good luck for your uh, extraordinary journey from ordinary to extraordinary like the one and only sonia thank you for your time sonia and uh, looking forward to many more uh, mountaineering and uh, these kind of running stories that will unfold together with you thank you yeah thank you so much and i uh, i'm so bummed to miss anapurna i kept thinking about that during my uh, run <laughs> actually <laughs> how much fun thing uh, uh, especially when i hit my lowest i'm like i'm not sure i made the right decision to pick this <laughs> up uh, but uh, i will say i look forward to our uh, next adventure whenever that opportunity comes and thank you so much for every single runner in this community i mean you you absolutely made an impact uh, through your messages you know through all the encouragement i got my husband my daughter obviously big part of that and my extended family and uh, community as well so i couldn't do it without their support and um, so thank you so much thanks a lot sonia good luck and enjoy the rest of multiple weekends of not doing too many runs thank you